All right, everyone. Sorry for the delay. Welcome to Single Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. Uh, just recorded an episode with Katie, Katie Herzog, for those unfamiliar, um, my co-host, uh, about the Kanye stuff, uh, or yay, I guess he is now. It's very interesting to me how the dude appears to be having what, like, I think anyone could see is a pretty catastrophic mental health meltdown. Like, I just don't think you go on Alex Jones wearing a weird black ski mask and say you like Hitler if your brain is not all fucked up. That's the clinical term. Now, can we draw a completely bold, clear line between like bigotry and mental health in a situation like this? Can we know for sure Kanye had none of these like tendencies before whatever happened to his brain happened? No. But it's really weird that people just want it to be the case that we can't blame, partly blame, his mental health for this when I think you very clearly can. Hadley Friedman had a good piece in Unheard just about how, yeah, mentally ill people, uh, people with uncontrolled mental health problems do sometimes make bigoted utterances. They have impulse control problems. They have delusions of grandeur. They have paranoia. So I don't know. I think a lot about – um, uh, sorry, some more water very intimate here. You guys can hear me pouring myself water. I think a lot about like Freddie DeBoer's notion of the gentrification of disability and of mental health. And this idea that like, we're not supposed to talk about the realities of mental health, which is that it can cause you to do and say mental health problems can cause you to do and say pretty messed up stuff. So I don't think it actually helps, you know, the cause of, of mental health. Uh, I don't think it helps Jewish people like me to pretend that mental health isn't a factor here. We can't know for sure. We can't diagnose him from afar, but it just, it certainly seems that way. So, uh, yeah, I just want to say that about that. Um, I have some more thoughts, but we got folks in the queue. So Neil, what's up? Um, so I wanted to ask about, so on the recent episode, uh, you named the club Q shooter. Um, and I was wondering what your thoughts were on like not naming them or like, like, the idea of like, we should just not say their name except for like maybe on Wikipedia. And then, or like even, I, I wonder if you could argue that you should even take it off Wikipedia. So then they get like no nor notoriety. And then like, yeah, I, I think there's like genuine tension here um, because if there's a mass shooting, people are going to be very thirsty for information about it. They're going to get it one way or another, even if they just get it from court documents. So it's a collective action problem because if you're a, uh, I just got a note about my uh, internet connection. Can you guys hear me okay? I can hear you. Okay, yeah, sounds good. Um, Neil, you're a monster. Uh, I, I understand the argument that there might be like some copycat impulse if you give these guys the blanket coverage they want, uh, spread their name around, turn them into heroes or martyrs. I just, it's a collective action problem because like if you run an outlet or a podcast and everyone else is using their name, you know, it's it's hard to not do that. So I I did not consider not using their name because like everyone else was. But uh, yeah, maybe in a perfect world we'd have a better system where everyone agrees. Like, you know, people can find the name if they want, but there, there could be a mutual agreement for outlets not to use the name of of the perpetrator of an act like this. I don't know how realistic that is in practice, but I could definitely see the argument for it. Yeah, I mean, it has to start with someone, right? There were a few. I think I think it was Megan Kelly didn't didn't name them. That, I might. I think one of the podcasts I listened to definitely didn't, but uh, listen to so many. But um, then I also wanted to ask about another thing that's come up recently. You've said it a couple times, actually, in recent uh, podcast episodes is you keep saying like woke, but, you know, 
I don't like that term, but I'll, you know, just use it. So why don't you like the term? What, you know, what's wrong with it? Because I think it's a, a good term. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would use it if everyone would agree, if there was a mutually agreed upon definition. I found both people on the left and the right use it as a cudgel. So I'll, I'll make some substantive point about like lefty discourse or like a meltdown in a lefty institution. And the response will not be to what I said. It'll be like, Oh, so you're saying it's all about wokeness. You're saying you hate wokeness. I'm like, no, that's just like a way of, of abstracting this. Cause the battle lines are drawn. You're supposed to be pro woke if you're on the left and anti woke. If you're one of those evil reactionaries, when in fact we should look at stuff on a case by case basis. So if we had a mutually agreed upon definition of wokeness, it'd be easier to talk about. The fact is people use wokeness to mean a million different things. Yeah. But, but can't you say that about any term, like, like people misuse fascist and racist and, you know, and pedophile and groomer and like every word is misused. So I feel like to me, that's not enough to say, Oh, it's not a good word. I think like, it's just like, I, I don't know. I guess, you're you're right though in that all those cases had like a actual definition that then was like kind of made blurry because of you know uh, bad intentions. But I I think woke you could still say it's like it has to do with like identity politics or like identitarianism plus like this kind of like like authoritarian nature to it, right? Where it's like because like some person is more victimized than their your their opinion is more valid and your opinion is like less valid. And I feel like that. Like anything connected to that, then I would I would say as well. But then yeah, people I mean, but disagree so like, with that. Identitarian I, deference I, I is the idea that whoever's yeah. more oppressed should win an argument. And mm-hmm. Matt Brunig and Freddie DeBoer have been writing about that or wrote about it first years ago. And I've I've hardly seen anyone I don't I don't think anyone really respond to what they said. Instead, what they do is they you know, this is like the Will Stansel move of like, oh, it's the, these evil anti-woke folks. They don't care about equality when that's just it's not fucking true. What cares <laughs> yeah, about it is I think it's yeah. dumb to solve the arguments based on who's more oppressed. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but I guess it. it's also another collective action problem, right? Because if some someone starts using woke to mean a certain thing, then everyone else has to like get on board with that definition or it doesn't doesn't work because the point like language is like a collective. We all use it together. Right. So, so no, yeah. Um, yeah. Good questions. Dylan. I appreciate the call. Okay. Um, uh, yes, people are noting in chat that Freddie DeBoer had this. Uh, yeah, uh, he had a good post about how, like, quote unquote, woke people don't want you to use the word woke, but they they won't let you use any term to describe their policies and their movement, which I think is a fair point. What's up, Patrick? Hey, uh, Jesse. Happy Friday. I hope happy you're, Friday. Your Friday evening, and it's filled with pizza and craft beer. Uh, tonight there might be pizza. There won't be craft beer. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be laying low tonight because I, I was out last night. I'm doing stuff tomorrow, but uh, yes, it will be a nice, uh, cozy winter evening. I hope you have a good night too. Yeah. So, uh, I guess talking about Yi since he's everywhere, uh, in the news, did you ever think you would watch an interview with Alex Jones and find him to be the most reasonable person on the panel? <laughs> no, it's so depressing. We We also talked about how like, Tim Pool is basically Walter Cronkite compared to everyone else involved in this. It's so depressing. It's very weird. And like, even like the Kanye kind of stuff, uh, I, I said this kind of thing when talking about uh, Alex Jones, where I think he got a little bit outplayed. I think he doesn't really buy as much of the hype of his stuff that he kind of pretends to peddle in order to sell various supplements and stuff. But yeah. I think he basically got Alex Jones on his own program when Kanye uh, basically said the thing that pretty much all of society is in agreement with, which is that the Nazis are bad and to like defend them is really like a hard thing to do. And you have to be very careful 
Like, if you want to make, like, a there's goodness in everyone argument, you can, but he wasn't even articulating that well. It also didn't help the fact that he was wearing, like, a billion coats and had a face mask on, which that's why thinking it might be part of, like, some gonzo art performance because the last time I saw him wearing that kind of mask was when I saw him in 2013 at Outside Lands. He really, like... <laughs> likes putting on like face mask when he's uh, engaging in his art. I think it's trying to separate. I think I'm not sure if there's actual psychological stuff on this, but uh, the wearing of the mask in order to separate uh, kind of what you're doing from your actual self. Yeah. I, I'm not sure at this point he's thinking stuff through that clearly, but it's, um, it's quite a spectacle either way. And I, I, you know, I told Katie, like, I, I feel torn about talking about it or covering it because he's clearly melting now. But he happens to be one of the most famous people on the planet. So what are you going to do? Yeah, that's the kind of thing. Uh, it, it is kind of weird, though, watching the right start to cancel him. I think I saw on Twitter that uh, someone who makes Let's Go Brandon wrapping paper uh, cut their ties with him, which it, it is pretty funny. I don't know. Just kind of when even like the people that the left calls Nazis are distancing themselves from kind of Nazi kind of stuff. So it's a very sad situation for an artist that you, uh, at least I, li- I like to like. Uh, I don't think no. I was big into him as some of my friends were, but eh, he was very talented. And now he's uh, having meltdowns looking like a video game extra. It's, it's mean, but true. Uh, yeah. Thanks for the call, Patrick. I agree completely. It's, it's just incredibly demoralizing to watch because he, I was never a super fan, but I listen to him a lot. I, I think my beautiful dark twisted fantasy is like up there for my favorite albums uh, ever. It's just it sucks. Eli, what's up? Hi. Uh, I was wondering, I, I'm sorry. I sent you a rather long recap of the Barry Weiss, Daniel Bergner, honestly conversation because I had an evening off and had nothing better to do. But I was wondering if you managed to listen to it at some point, because I think it might interest you. Um, I actually, sorry, I don't think I saw that note from you. I feel bad, but I, um, I saw I, Freddie, yeah. Freddie DeBoer recommended it because this is sort of, Bergner responding to DeBoer responding to Bergner, right? Yeah, yeah, it's mixed. I mean, you, I assume you get many, many emails, and it's totally, it makes sense. Uh, but um, I'll just, what happened there, it's actually rather befuddling. I really would be interested to hear what Freddie DeBoer has to say about it, uh, because it's a rather strange conversation. Uh, Daniel Bergner basically says, oh, you misrepresented me. Uh, and then he says, oh, my point, you know, some people definitely need meds, which he didn't say in his piece. But he's like, no, but we need to look at the mind, not at the brain. And uh, we need to uh, understand where people are coming from and show them concern. But the, but the weirdest thing about this whole conversation, beyond the fact that it was completely circular and he says whatever he says and Barry Weiss says, but what about really mentally ill people and he says yes i want to help them but i don't yeah. but i but i don't but uh, there are other ways to help people who are you know meds were not may not be right for everyone he started talking about um show about the support group run by the schizophrenic he wrote his piece about and he says oh she doesn't just give them meds she shows them concern she tries to understand where they're coming from and he keeps on describing something that is therapy, just therapy of yeah. any kind. And just, he does, doesn't name it. 
And he says, oh, you know, in traditional psychiatry, psychotic symptoms don't have any meaning. You just give them meds. But if we think about it, they could have meaning. For example, some dreams have meaning. And I'm like, are you just ripping off Freud? Is this is what's <laughs> going on? Is this is what's going on? You're just rediscovering Freud in real time? And he yeah. never, I mean, you could say, oh, well, I mean, he doesn't even mention cognitive behavioral approaches, anything. So for him, the binary is either you plow someone with meds or you um, bring him to the schizophrenic support group. And, 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 and uh, Barry Weiss doesn't, doesn't, doesn't note the contradiction. The, the last point I want to make is that he's, the, the other flaw in his argumentation is that he's making two claims at once. So he tells a story about his brother, and he says, oh, my brother was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and then he says, and then by the sound of it, it was a well-deserved diagnosis. The brother thought he could cure the grandfather suffering from Alzheimer's. He was manic and then depressed. He was homeless. But then he also says that his brother rejected his diagnosis, and Daniel Bergner says that it was for good reason. So he constantly switches between making the argument that meds don't help some people and making the far uh, more um, kind of vague argument that mental illness isn't real. Huh. So it's a very interesting conversation because you just want to kind of yell at Barry Weiss to say something about, to point out the flaws in his argument because he's both making two arguments at the same time and he totally ignores all psychotherapy. And it's just an interesting, if maddening, interview from that uh, perspective. Okay, yeah, I definitely want to reread his piece and then listen to the interview. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. Wonderful, okay. Yeah, Shabbat Shalom, Jesse. Shabbat Shalom. W, what is up? Well, speaking of Shabbat Shalom, I had a question. I was wondering if you had also noticed um, a kind of shift in younger Jewish people's like framing of their Jewishness and like the same, it, like coding it in the same language as other uh, identity groups, you know, like you notice that like, it becoming more salient and more central to people's identity. And I wonder if that felt like if that, if you ever went through a phase like that, or how do you go through the world? Would you call yourself like a Jewish writer or a Jewish anything? Or like, how does that identity play into what you do and who you are? I know that's a big question, but. Um, no, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's complicated for me. I don't. I don't know if I've noticed any particular recent trajectory on that. And and Jews in America are very heterogeneous. I am having trouble talking. Uh, so you know, I can imagine some people getting more and more into the identity. Some people less and less. So my trajectory has basically been, um, in part, I've reacted to the feeling that I got a sort of one-sided accounting of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict growing up, which is totally understandable. There's nothing particularly unique or nefarious about, you know, the in-group is better than the out-group and, and treating Israel as this like heroic uh, miracle without getting into some of the complexities and some of the very bad stuff that has happened to Palestinians as a result. So I think for a lot of Jews of my generation, one of the, one of the things we have in common is maybe getting a little bit less a little bit more skeptical of Israel. And I think that led to the creation of groups like J Street. Um, you know, they're basically Zionists, but very willing to criticize Israel. So yeah, on the broader thing, 
I, I don't like identity labels. I don't like identitarianism. I, I, you know, obviously view myself as part of a lineage that has a very particular and very tragic history. You learn about a lot about the Holocaust growing up. You're definitely cognizant of the fact that um, however good things are going, they can go very south very quickly. Uh, so, yeah, I it's also weird because we are we are we are a group that could at any point that they really tried to snuff out. But we are a privileged group in the state. So it's a really complicated mix of stuff. I also identify with a lot of aspects of like Jewish humor and Jewish culture and Jewish mental illness. So, uh, yeah, I'm rambling because it's like a hard thing to capture because identity is fuzzy and I think it should be fuzzy. Absolutely. And it's not even like the same realm, but like, you know, I'm like multi-generational from like the Southern United States and we have our own like cultural trauma and all stuff. It's definitely different, but living you know it's like one thing like living in alabama where i grew up and now i live in california and so it's like you know you're not around it and or or you are and people say you like you know you fuck your cousin or whatever like it's like it's just different so i guess do you feel more jewish in brooklyn than you did boston i don't know that like the differences i i felt the most jewish by far living in berlin where um I was in a cohort for this fellowship where I think I was the only Jewish person. Um, I felt most, I feel most Jewish if I'm in places where there aren't Jews. Because uh, you then sort of like take on the role of like the representative of the group. And and the closest I got, and I'm not drawing direct comparison, to um, the feeling that I bet is a cousin of the feeling that like a black person would have in an otherwise all-white workplace is... Um, in Germany and a British person said something about like Jews in Northern, which is very Orthodox and Hasidic that I didn't think it was anti-Semitic, but I thought it overgeneralized and, and left out the fact that the, I think the majority of Jews worldwide are quite secular. Um, so I felt like I had to sort of explain it. I felt like I was like the Jew who had to explain this thing. And it was this like sort of tense feeling that you're like this sense of obligation to represent your group in the right way. And um, I think what I felt was, a much milder version of probably what some, and I'm only using black and white people as one example of what some black people feel in all white settings, but it's a pretty unpleasant feeling to be like, you have to be the representative of the group or otherwise people will be misinformed about stuff. So yeah, I feel, I felt much more Jewish in Germany than I do in Boston or New York. And I'd say Boston and New York are about equal because um, technically, obviously New York has a much bigger Jewish community, but Boston's is not small as far as these things go thank you for sharing i really appreciate it have a great weekend and enjoy your pizza and chill thank you appreciate it, w uh a what is up hey jesse how are you keeping good how are you not too bad not too bad i'm just wondering uh, like, as one of the highest profile jewish rappers have you thought about challenging gay to a battle <laughs> rap where you'd like uh, yeah that would not go one of the highest one of the highest profile jewish rappers there's modest yahoo there's Dave, drake drake right yes drake uh half jew half black jew uh half black half jewish uh drake dave as in like dave from the fx show um there's gotta be some others uh i have i i think at this point i would not want to platform him as an anti-semite so that means i win by default but you could like challenge his anti-Semitism with philo-Semitic bars, like just spit some like <laughs> spit some philo-Semitic bars. I like that. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> uh, but I was just going to ask you, what do you think of um, Elon Musk's decision to suspend him or ban him from Twitter? Oh, the other Jewish rapper I like, 
Tony Wolf. He has a group called Y that I used to be really into, although I haven't kept up with him. Um, I think he suspended him after this was after the swastika inside the Star of David, right? Yeah. Yeah, that I mean that's that's gonna get you suspended. I don't know. I to me, there's a pretty big difference between suspending people over hate symbols and suspending people for like you know, the the one that comes up most common is the gender fight. And the 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 gender fight is a public policy debate that is being worked out in different countries. Um and I think you should probably be able to have public policy debates on a public platform. Uh, so to me, that's very different. I would always err on the free speechy side. If someone is going crazy and tweeting hate symbols and comparing Jews to Nazis, I, you're, you're going to get banned. I think Twitter, it'll do damage to the already tarnished brand, uh, you know, to let someone keep tweeting stuff like that. And I, I, I doubt Musk wanted to do it. And I think the fact that he felt like he didn't have another option maybe tells us something about how crazy Kanye has gotten. Yeah, yeah. I know. I think he's, uh, I think you're right. Like, he, they obviously had to ban him, but like, uh, already a couple of times now, like, he, you know, he, he's kind of staked out this free speech absolutist position and that, like, he would let anything that was legal, basically, uh, that was his kind of original position. Like, um, but I don't think, like, what Kanye tweeted would have been illegal, but, uh, or it's not, uh, and it wouldn't be like a direct incitement to violence because I think that was like another standard he was citing but i can totally see why he was banned like genuine but, uh, question but did, did and i should know this did did musk ever actually say he would literally let anything that's legal stay up on twitter well that's what he was kind of talking about when he was um uh, talking about his free speech position initially like he was kind of like a free speech absolutist and that he would like per- essentially permit all legal speech like yeah i i think that's not was never going to be realistic, both because you can't have a platform where, where, you know, Nazis are calling me a kike with impunity or uh, stuff like that. Also, I mean, he's obviously not a total free speech absolutist because, because he, he's happy to work and do business with China. So I'm curious, like, I think Iglesias pointed this out. He said very little about China on Twitter. So I'm, I, I'm skeptical that he's actually a principled free speech purist, but um, I just I think it's hard to do that if you run a platform. As, as nice it is it is to imagine a pure free speechy place, it's just like there's going to end up some moderation. Check out his Twitter from yesterday. He uh, like quote tweeted this tweet that Mark Andreessen put up, where it was like a this uh, dialogue that an AI generated between like a New York Times writer, I think, and like tech billionaire who owns a social media company. And it was about they're talking about free speech and the the tech billionaire says like uh, literally that line about like there's a there's a clear line for me in terms of permissible speech. And it's like anything that doesn't uh, that isn't a direct incitement to violence. And then uh, Musk quote retweeted and said, like, these AIs are getting so uh, realistic or whatever now. Like, but like that was the thing he said before as well. But it's just in practice, it seems like. He he's quite like he 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 doesn't he can't adhere to that like you know, he has to have or he has to uh, like apply like reasonable standards like not just apply them all like. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Uh, anything else? No. Good luck. Thank you for the call. Uh, KW, what's up? Not much, Jesse. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. All right. So I meant to call in a couple of shows ago when it was probably more appropriate because I don't really have much to say about Kanye other than 
I hope he gets help. Please, someone just get him away from social media. Get him away from any talk shows whatsoever. Yeah. Man, some help right now. Agreed. That what I really wanted to talk about was I think a couple of shows ago you were talking about that deranged tweet thread where the guy was going off on white male centrists or whatever the hell that was. Oh yeah, reactionary. This was that guy from uh, what's his name, the Georgetown professor. Yeah. I don't remember. It's Michael Hobbs-isms, uh, is what I like to call them. Yeah, but yeah. at any rate, what's going on is, I think it was either you or somebody else who said that this whole, you know, that this whole vocabulary, this whole way of looking at the world, this identitarianism stuff seems to be a mostly white thing. I think you guys are half right. I think where it really comes from, and John McWhorter wrote about this in the book Woke Racism, is that it really seems to first come from like black and other people of color academics not black people in general just a certain percentage of academics that have particularly radical views especially of the afro pessimism variety and that stuff's been around forever it's just that what's different about this era is that so many white liberals and progressives have ran with it uh, do you think that makes any sense? I do. I think there's a a broader issue where like, and I've said this before, a lot of, um, you know, sort of majority white institutions are still led by white people and have white people in gatekeeping roles. And I think in terms of which black pundit, McWhorter is, is an exception and they hired, the Times hired him recently, I think in part to balance things out. But I think for a while it was more likely um, if you're a black writer to get something placed in the New York Times opinion page if you express views that are popular among white liberals. And and those views include that like race relations are awful and getting worse and that race should be a big thing we talk about and consider in our day-to-day interactions and an interpretive Mm -hmm. way you everyday interactions. So yeah, I think these views are popular among white people. Yeah. There's obviously some, some people of color who, who espouse these views. A lot of them, they just tend to be from, elite institutions, like the best colleges and so forth. Yeah, that's certainly what I've noticed. And it just seems that, uh, I guess, pure population wise, uh, with white people still being the largest share, you're just in terms of raw numbers going to see more white people espousing these views. And that's, that's just how it looks. But I don't know. But what I also wanted to ask about is, I'm in two group chats, and we recently had a little debate. It was a good faith debate. It didn't get nasty. It was just about whether this thing, whether whether we want to call it wokeness or identitarianism or social justice politics, as Freddie DeBoer calls it, has it peaked? Because some of us, like me, think that the worst of it's behind us. We're not seeing as many meltdowns as we used to, whereas others seem to think, oh, no, it's just going to get worse. We ultimately settled on, I think, that normies have moved on to it, but from it, rather, but it still has a lot of institutional muscle. What say you? Yeah, I think it really depends on the institution. I think a lot of, like, media outlets, um, there, there's been some, like, pendulum swinging back towards sanity. Um, I agree. So I, I see some signs of encouragement there. Um in other places, not so much. I mean, I think like in the nonprofit world in DC, a lot of folks in leadership positions understand that like 
some of the stuff is corroding their their organizations. And like Ryan Grimm did a piece just on all the meltdowns in, in DC areas. So um yeah, man, I, I think it depends. I think overall things are, are veering back toward normalcy, but in some institutions it'll take a while longer. Yeah, I work in finance for what it's worth, and I think it's peaked here. I mean, I was genuinely worried that in the summer of 2020, we were headed on a one-way trip toward Robin D'Angelo land. That did not happen. Uh, DEI is still around, but the enthusiasm for it seems to be going down. Yeah. But then again, I work in finance. That is not that is not a woke field, uh, for lack of a better term. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah, finance, I, I can just... imagine. Um... Yeah, I just think that in general, what's really changed is, is, as Catherine D was talking about, tech. I mean, something about text being the public square rather than the spoken word just makes it way easier to dunk, shame, misinterpret people online, especially with the like function, the quote tweet function. And I think really that's why it feels worse than ever. I, I don't know, yeah. I'm just spitballing here. No, I think that's right. I think that's part of the reason people refuse to have conversations because if you have a conversation with someone, it's harder to, to misrepresent them um, and so on. But uh, anyway, thank you for the call. I, I, I agree with what you're saying. You're welcome. John, what is up? Hey, what's up, man? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I just want to ask, when did everyone become a psychiatrist when it comes to gay West? It's what I'm asking. Because you got a lot of people perturbed in the sense that they're saying this man should be institutionalized. He should be locked up. He should be given the Britney Spirit treatment just because he's saying something that I don't like. So I guess I want to ask, number one, when did people become psychiatrists? And number two, um, on Twitter, the image that I got banned for was a realism image, which is a cult. So people, there's a lack of education, there's a lack of information, and I feel like there's some racial undertones when it comes to what Ye West is doing. Um, I don't know anything about art history or performance art, but there's a lot of prominent people within that field that consider him one of our most influential performance artists of our generation. So if I'm going to play devil's advocate and say what I believe he's doing, I believe someone yeah. mentioned it, I believe he's doing some sort of free speech absolutism performative piece in a sense. But I, I guess this like automatic reaction that he's crazy, you gotta lock him up. It, I feel well, like it's just an automatic no, no, reaction so people are I, having. I, yeah, I, so I, I, I think he is crazy right now and I think he's crazy because he's doing terrible damage to his business and his career. I don't think he should be locked up. I, I'm not saying yeah, you can't for lock an opinion. Up. Well, his opinions are incredibly – he's hanging out with – Milo Yiannopoulos said that secular Jews should be hanged. Milo Yiannopoulos is his campaign manager. That, that's incredibly disturbing if you're Jewish. It's not just an opinion. He, well, was saying, that a statement that was taken out of context? I'm sorry. No, I heard it was in an interview on Rush V's podcast. Um, I just found out about that today. It's just one example. Okay. Fuentes – has engaged in Holocaust denial. So I'm, I agree with you. If, if someone's saying Kanye West should be locked up or institutionalized against his will, I disagree with that. Um, I just think like as, as a Jewish person, when you see anti-Semitism come out, bubble up this explicitly, some alarm bells go off and, and it's not 
reasonable yeah. to expect people to and not punish him for saying And I understand that. Like, I love Jewish people. I love all types of people. And I feel like yeah. that's what everyone's missing. Because not only did he say, I love Hitler. He said, I love Jews. He said he <laughs> loves the surgeon. He says he loves, but just think about this. He says he loves the surgeon that ended up operating on his mom that killed him. That killed her. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's this radical empathy that people are missing because he's a Christian after all. And what did Jesus do? He loved everyone. So maybe it was not as well represented as it could have, but I feel like some people are missing the point. That's all. All right. Uh, that's fair, John. Thank you for the call. Uh, yep. I'm going to have to wrap up with Pongo 2. Um, Pongo 2, what's up? Other folks who, who, don't, who I don't get to, you can always, you can jump the queue if you chat me uh, during my next one. What's up, Pongo? Hey, Jesse. Uh, I got Pongo 3 here, actually. She might start crying, in which case we might have to end this uh, prematurely, but uh, she's making her first appearance on the podcast as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so uh, two things. First one really quick. I did actually get a hold of A Bright Ages, and I was able to read about three chapters of it before I tossed it out and read a better book. It, it is it is as bad as I expected. So if you were, if you were waiting with bated breath for that review, then yes, it's terrible. This is um, the uh, this is the book by D- uh, David Perry, and who's the other guy? Luckily, I forget his name. I I, I, I didn't even know all the other guy's name, so you're, you're ahead of me there. But uh, gotcha. yes, it's, it included things like the argument that like... Uh, I won't. I won't get into it. It, it is very bad. Um, uh, more generally, uh, so you you kind of got into this a little bit with with the guy two once before two callers before me about like um, what the uh, um, sorry like uh, what what is causing wokeness or what whether it's getting better or worse or whatever. I'm just wondering if you if you're familiar with. Um, what I think is a pretty good interpretation of it, which has been written by, I think the best piece on it I've seen was written by Tanner Greer on his blogs, uh, Scholar Stage, which is basically that like the people who are trying to find like a content neutral or uh, like technological or um, like approach or systems-based approach to wokeness are basically overlooking the fact that the problem with the, what's, hap- what's happened with quote unquote wokeness or whatever term you want to use for it is that activists discovered that calling people racist was an instant I win button because nobody was ever willing to fight against it. Yeah. And nobody, nobody's like the problem. The problem isn't that like people can't have like content neutral free speech or whatever. The problem is that the, the centrist liberals aren't able to actually make an argument in their own defense because they get short circuited when you call them racist, they aren't aren't capable of coming up with an argument against that. And, um, you're not basically what he's saying is that you're not going to get anywhere by just calling for like content neutral free speech or whatever. You have to actually be willing to argue and win because there's always been, there's always been an Overton window. There's always been like things that you're not allowed to say or things that will get you canceled. The, The change is just that this very motivated activist group has changed the Overton window so quickly, so, so quickly and so overwhelmingly and nobody in the centrist middle seems to be willing to talk, say anything about it. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not sure if that's like a good zoomed out explanation of everything. I'll say that that resonates with me in terms of trends I've seen in like private progressive spaces, um, including a listserv I was on that I actually I left the listserv because it had a what I viewed as a pretty toxic race meltdown. This was a overwhelmingly white listserv, but. 
there's a problem in progressive communities of these accusations being hurled very casually, um, often without much evidence. So yes, I would say in some institutions, 30, 40, 50, 60% of, of debates or conversations or disagreements end with someone being accused of some sort of ism. And it becomes like a tick that some people are really able to deploy to avoid having actual conversations. And of course, if someone says something that's really racist, they should, you know, they should like be sanctioned for it. Racism is bad, but a lot of what is called racism in liberal spaces is like, it's disputable. So yeah, I think that, I think what you're describing is definitely at least one factor. It's like Stalin said, uh, the people who the people who say racist things decide nothing. But once you decide what is racist to say, decide everything. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Yeah. That's like it's that's a version of what's going on for sure. Um, and I think it's especially true because like if you're on a listserv and one person makes an argument and then two people respond that isn't that the sort of thing a white person would say? Isn't that racist? One of the uh, just as bad as that is the fact that most people are not going to then jump in to defend the person who is being accused of racism. Because why would you? It's just it's not fun to be called racist, and it'll hurt your standing within the group. So these sort of I don't know. I think there's a sense in which like these sacred concepts are weaponized a little bit, and it definitely leads to um, to uh, dysfunction and meltdowns in liberal groups. I, I linked uh, Tamar, Tanner Greer's uh, blog post about it in the chat if you want to read it. Cool. Thank you. I will check it out. All right. He's fine with it. Um, all right. I'm sorry, uh, Justin, Neil, Alex, Kenny, Byron, I couldn't get to you guys. But if you join an upcoming room and chat me that I didn't get to you this time, I'll bump you to the front. Everyone else, uh, I hope you have a – you guys and everyone else, I hope you have a good weekend. Thank you for tuning in. As always, I would just ask you to tell your friends about what I'm doing here uh, if you like it. Have a good weekend, everyone. Bye.